Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Guess what, Allison? Chicken butt. It's... (laughs) (laughs) It's hermit time. Are you imagining a hermit in MC Hammer pants, too? No, but I definitely have the MC Hammer thing going through my head. Like, very slowly, a hermit, like, sort of shuffling across the... the... So now I got it. Yeah. 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 We're going to be talking about English Jack. Not Irish Jack. No, different Jack. Not Scottish Jack. Nope, different Jack. Not Australian Jack. Mm-mm. English not, Jack. Not Jack Daniels. Nope. Not, yeah, that's all the Jacks I got. <laughs> or Lantern. No, no. Just, just, just English Jack. <laughs> okay. Pretty interesting guy for a while. I had him down as a phony. A phony? A phony. A wannabe. But. My opinions change as I've learned more. So, like, he was on Instagram and he, like, saw all these other hermits and he was like, I think I want to be a hermit now. It was, it was one specific thing, which we'll get into okay. when we get to his story, that I was kind of like, what? What is this guy doing? Or is he just, like, there? there is a general sort of, like, um, huckster-ish quality to a lot of... Yeah, yeah, he definitely has that, for sure. No, it was something something very specific and we go over it in the story, so... Oh, okay. We'll talk about that in a bit. Before we get to Old English Jack, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for supporting Strange Familiars. We could not make the show without you, so you mean the world to us. If you like what we do here at Strange Familiars and you'd like to get more content, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get 
commercial-free versions of the weekly episodes plus two full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. Those are exclusive for our patrons. Again, to support us and to check out all the options, you can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Good morning, Captain. You are here, I see. Well, take a seat till I just think a bit. I was foolish yesterday to agree to tell my yarn. I seldom speak of it. For forty year I've tried hard to forget, but some things burn into a fellow's brain. And even now, in moments of regret, I seem to live my whole life over again. But seeing you are no newspaper man, and won't go printing what I have to say, I'll spin my yarn as truly as I can. I said I would when you called yesterday. You see me here, a hermit, old and gray, and bearing hard on threescore years and ten. Like others, you have wondered, I dare say, what brought me here, away from haunts of men. So begins the story of Jack, James E. Mitchell's poem, telling the life of John Viles, the hermit better known as English Jack. Writing in the voice of Jack, Mitchell published his poem in 1891. What is true and what is legend concerning English Jack? We might never be able to figure out. According to Jack, he was a sailor, once marooned, a soldier, and a sideshow performer, before he became a lonely hermit in Crawford Notch, the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Back to the poem. You notice I didn't have you read any bits of the poem. I thought you might not be amenable to that. I don't like accents. (laughs) I'm not doing an accent. Am I doing an accent? I'm reading it in my voice. (laughs) What does an accent have to do with it? Well, I can't do like, I can't do or read any sort of like folksy vernacular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get through Nick Cave's And the Ass Saw the Angel because of that, because it's written in like... Mm. Hokey southern patois that I can't. (laughs) Back to the poem. My parents died when I was 12 years old. In London, I was left without a friend. My whole possessions were one pound in gold and hopes that fate would something better send. I scorned the institutions that were free and feared that I might yet be sent to school. My whole ambition was to go to sea. I went, and there is where I played the fool. John Viles was born in England around 1827. Speaking to Kate Van Twinkle in 1889. That's a fantastic name. Yeah, Kate Van Twinkle will resurface again in her story here. Jack told of his early years in London. My mother and father died before I was 13 years old, Jack related. Alone on the streets of London one day, Jack ran into a lost little girl named Mary Simmons and carried her back home. The girl's family took Jack in as a reward. Her father, Bill, was a ship captain and brought Jack to sea as his cabin boy. Jack made several voyages with Bill Simmons, becoming a seasoned sailor even as a youth. Whenever they came back to London, Jack found a home with the Simmons family. As Jack and Mary grew older, they found themselves falling in love. The sea, however, was where Bill Simmons and Jack made their living. They were always called back to the ocean. Back to the poem. It was not so many days before we found as good a ship as ever went to sea, the Nelson, for the Indian Ocean bound. 
The dues were good and suited Bill and me, but something seemed to say, this ain't right, Jack. And little Mary and her mother, too, seemed anxious-like and tried to keep us back. But then we laughed it off and joined the crew. Mary's and her mother's concerns were well-founded. Somewhere in the Indian Ocean, the Nelson found itself amidst a wicked storm. We returned to the poem. Where's Rob and, and Ethan? Maybe when I need him to, to read a poem. A poem, I think that's what Rob says. And so we run for hours. The gale increased. The heavens seemed to drop down into the sea. The lightning flashed. The thunder never ceased. The very imps of Hades seemed set free. Hard, hard a port, a voice rang through the air. For God's sake, hard a port, land straight ahead. Too late, she won't come round. And in despair, we struck before a single prayer was said. What followed after I never knew, for something sent me sprawling in the sea. When I came round, the sky was clear and blue, and Bill stood high and dry on shore by me. Thirteen were saved of all our gallant crew, and fifteen bodied that were washed ashore was all we ever saw of 42. Where was that shipwreck supposed to be? It's somewhere in the Indian Ocean. It's You're not going to find it because it doesn't exist. I've looked it up. Okay, the, Nelson, there is a Nelson. the Nelson was another ship, yes. Okay. We're going to get to the holes in this story. It was a lot easier to lie back when people couldn't fact check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Marooned on an island that was scarce a mile from shore to shore, the men lived on a diet of snails, mussels, and crabs for 19 months. It was this diet that made Jack fearless of eating snakes and frogs, a talent he would put to use later. Many of the shipwrecked men died from food poisoning or disease until finally only four men were left, including Jack and Bill. Soon, Bill was ill with some sort of fever and dying and asked Jack to take care of Mary. Then shortly after this, a week or so, a storm came up, a regular hurricane. It seemed to shake our island to and fro, but in the morning, all was calm again. But what is that we see? A sail, a sail. Here comes a boat. Our signal has been seen. We screamed and laughed, our faces deathly pale. Our joy was worse to bear than grief had been. The remaining three sailors were rescued by an American vessel, which eventually headed back to England, as chance may have it. Two of the last sailors from the Nelson, however, were too sick and fragile from their time on the island and died before the ship arrived in London. So the only people, he was the only guy left. Conveniently, English Jack was the only survivor of the ordeal. Back in London, Jack found the Simmons house empty. The neighbors had no news of Mary or her mother. After a time, Jack finally got news of the Simmons women. Unable to pay their bills, Mary and her mother struggled in poverty until eventually her mother took ill and died, and Mary landed in the workhouse. Jack, having been awarded generous back pay by the owners of the Nelson, (laughs) was able to secure Mary's release and send her to boarding school. Jack engaged himself again as a sailor and made off to sea for another year's voyage. Mary had agreed to marry him upon his return. And after she finished middle school... Jack spent his time at sea, writing letters to Mary and buying presents to give to her when he came back to England. Landing in Liverpool, he took a train to London and immediately made way to the boarding school. She was not there. But somehow I stood. No need to tell my name. They seemed to know. At last one said as gently as she could, Miss Simmons died, sir, just a month ago. That is conveniently tragic. 
I could not speak. My lips and throat were dry, but dazed like, tried in vain to reach the door. My heart stood still. I gave one mournful cry, then reeled and fell unconscious on the floor. Jack found himself alone in the world once more. Broken in spirit, he spent a year in dazed mourning before joining the British Navy. Eventually, he enlisted as a soldier in the Crimean War, and after that fought in the Indian Rebellion. So I might say I've been in many wars, in many bloody fights I've taken part, and though at times I show my scars, the deepest scar of all is my heart. For many years I traveled land and sea. I did not seem to care much where I went. The north or south was all the same to me, always on hand to go where I was sent. The chest that held the presents that I bought I locked and took into a bonded store. It's there today. I could not bear the thought of opening it to look on them once more. I left old England then for good and all and do not think I shall ever go back. I've waited long for death to sound my call, but I'm still here, your humble servant, Jack. Can I tell you my new backstory? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Only if you do it in poem form. It's, it's the rhyming I'm, I can't do. Maybe a free verse. A limerick, perhaps. <laughs> Jack's life before coming to America seems to be a mix of legend and truth. I'm thinking more legend than truth. Convenient tragedy, and what else has he got? I mean, he was in the Navy, but he also enlisted as a soldier in the Crimean War and then fought in the Indian Rebellion. Like, that's a lot. Even removing the shipwreck. Yeah. <laughs> he might have, I mean, the, the, the military service is, is probably the most plausible of all the stories. Yeah, but all those things? Oh, no, no. Yeah. no I don't believe any of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not it's, a one thing. I'm thinking my guess would be he ran into some bad luck, perhaps through having to leave the country for some reason or just running out of money and trying his luck somewhere else. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's a lot of holes in Jack's story. And yes, you're indeed very correct about the Nelson. I looked it up as well. There was a ship named the Nelson. It didn't go anywhere near the Indian Ocean. It was in like in great America. Lakes. Yeah, one of the great, they just yeah. found it fairly recently, right? Yeah. There were a lot of ships, though, that had similar names. Yeah, I mean, it could have been another ship named the Nelson, yeah. but I could not find any shipwreck. Usually shipwrecks are pretty. Yeah, there are books of just shipwrecks, yeah. famous shipwrecks. Yeah, so, you know, who knows? We do know that he came to America in 1876. He was English. That much is true. And he claimed to work as a circus performer. All right. <laughs> you got my attention. Yeah. Can't find any records of him as a circus performer. That said, could he have probably, worked, could have worked w- under a different name. Absolutely. He pro- almost certainly went by that I find totally plausible. Mm-hmm. This is a common trajectory of people in the circus that they're just on either side of the law with a hundred different names and living in 50 different places as borders or rumors in tiny little places. Or I was just doing uh, an article on a circus performer and she lived on a houseboat Hmm. that went up and down the river near Akron, Ohio when she wasn't boarding in the room somewhere. So I think that that part is possible. I believe that part too, because of some things he did. Which we'll hear about. And, and the sort of fantastical backstory, that's very Barnum. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I'm surprised he, doesn't, he didn't come from some sort of um, Middle Eastern country of which most <laughs> people have not heard of. Well, eventually he made his way to the White Mountains of New Hampshire, a place called Crawford Notch. 
where he started building his home. He built it himself, and I have enough pictures of him where in the older you can see the house in one form, and then you can see in the newer the newer photos he has added on to it over time. Oh, he built some additions. Yeah, to store some valuables. It would become known as the house that Jack built. There's even a sign. I have one postcard where it's not a postcard of him. It's just a postcard of Crawford Notch. Mm -hmm. And right along the railroad tracks, there's a sign with an arrow pointing. It says the house that Jack built. Actually, that I've seen that area come up a lot in stereo views because there was a, a famous publisher that hailed from that area. He's in a couple stereo views. So he plants a small garden and earns a reputation as a great hunter and fisherman in the mountains. He first appears in the newspapers in July of 1889. This is from the Sun Journal, Lewiston, Maine, July 20th, 1889. It's uh, written by Katie Van Twinkle. Wow, she gets around. Star cub reporter Katie Van Twinkle. <laughs> so this is an excerpt from a much longer article that didn't have to do with Jack, but there's a part about Jack in the article, so it kind of just starts. Okay, so they're talking about sort of taking a tour of the Yeah, they're area. visiting Crawford now. Okay. After a while, some of us strolled away toward the notch. Suddenly, I caught sight of a huge sign, the house that Jack built. And thence was no stopping me, till I had gone up the narrow steps along a plank walk for many rods, and found myself before another sign, a trifle more formidable than the first, take care, the bear is on the premises. This quenched my enthusiasm a bit. The gentlemen of the party had by this time caught up with me, and I learned for the first time of the strange being known as English Jack who has for many years lived in a little cabin right in the heart of the woods surrounded by the solemn wooded mountains. We entered the cabin, passing quite close to the bear, whom, be very sure, we gave a wide berth, and stood face to face with Jack the Hermit, and in old beauty I found him, a superb subject for some artist in Tars. Jack owned to being 63. Every inch of the interior of the cabin is covered with pictures from newspapers of all sorts, and there are many books lying about. One, a book of travels in Australia, was lying open upon an old lounge, his pipe for a bookmark. To some of the party, Jack was an old story, though indeed they can tell you little of him after making you quail with account of his eating juvenile frogs, occasionally varying the edible program if especially requested by eating a snake. This is no fish story. Jack has been on exhibition for the very talent in several large cities. On being questioned why he gave it up, he only remarked, Hmm, I did all the eating, and the show folks got all the money. I can fancy that eating frolicsome froglets, alive and kicking, is a pleasure which it is possible to exhaust, and perhaps some such occasion came to Jack, and he sighed to return to his solitary life in the little rickety black cabin. The 15 months quadruped clanked his... <laughs> the bear, okay. The 15 months quadruped clanked his chain presently to remind us that Jack was not the only party of note on the lonely premises. Tame? asked Jack. He ate my dog the other day, and he'd eat me quick as a wink if he got any show. Tame? You can't tame a wild mountain bear. <laughs> <laughs> the other one before this got so ugly I had to shoot him because he tried to eat me one day. So Jack consistently keeps that sort of pet. We went outside for a few moments to see him get the ugly, snarling creatures out of the pen and make him climb and balance himself on a high pole. He called this darling by the tender name of Jumbo, and the glare in four eyes during the performance proved that not much love was wanted between Jack and Jumbo. As I re-entered the hut, I saw two little milk-white kittens playing in a corner of the couch. Now this and some other trifles carried me to the conclusion that somewhere in Jack's queer heart there was a tender spot. 
He was hunting for some photographs of himself in the role of the old man of the mountain, and he dropped a book which proved to be a Bible. I turned the leaves, and finding that none was near, and in a low voice, Jack, be honest, you never would have come from England to bury yourself for sixty years in the heart of an American forest unless you had been in love. Now weren't you honestly, Jack? He lifted his head, gave his short gray beard a rough twist, and after a quick glance which translated mildly meant, you've got nerve, he turned his face from me, forgot about the photograph, and after a turn down the room answered, you're right. I'm going to tell you the truth, ma'am. I did love one woman in my life. I thought possibly he was fooling me, so I said, oh, you mean your mother, Jack? No, ma'am. My mother and father died before I was 13 years old. I loved a woman who died just 23 years ago this summer, and I never loved anybody else. This was the story of the man's solitary life then. I was touched by the man's honesty, for there was no doubt of his sincerity. The hard look had gone out of his face for a moment. Jack, I said, I knew it the instant I came into your cabin and looked at you. Then gay laughter was heard, and Jack pulled his slouched hat down a bit over his eyes. When I looked again, he had resumed the mask. His eyes seemed to have caught the deep blue color of the sea upon which he lived for 18 years. Once he was cast upon an island in the Indian Ocean where, with two or three companions, he lived for 20 months, apologetically, of the frog and snake acts. There's where I got used to hard living and eating, for there was precious little to eat. Although I was taken with Jack's place, his odd staccato answers to the general questions that I was strongly desirous to hear him talk for hours. What a romance Bret Hart would weave around this hermit with his rugged beauty, his queer surroundings, his dumb companions. He employs his time on summer nights in polishing up the engines on the track. Do you make up for lost sleep then in the daytime, asked someone. Jack looked contemptuous and said, The bear and I sleep enough in winter. (laughs) I asked about great thunderstorms in the mountains. He said the lightning one day paid him an unexpected visit and demolished his stove. I hinted that the roughs was in a fair way to make with its successor, and he almost smiled. You rarely see Jack smile, and when we were parting, he busied himself with Jumbo's chain. He struck me as a pathetic figure as he stood there. The others were hurrying off as the rain came down again, and he handed me a photograph of himself leaning against the door post of the cabin. I, not to be outdone, handed him my card, and thus Jack and I farewelled. In 1893, another reporter catches up with Jack. This is an article from the Akron Daily Democrat, Akron, Ohio, October 11th, 1893. Here we go, full circle Akron moment. I was just talking about Akron, about oh, sailing yeah. down the, yeah, I, I did think that. it's the I, Columbia, Ohio. I did that on purpose. <laughs> and this is entitled, Dead to the World, English Jack, the Hermit of the White Mountains. Why he chose the life of a recluse, a curious compound of culture and depravity, happy with reptiles and quadrupeds, a perilous adventure. Wolfsboro, New Hampshire, October 10th, Special Correspondence. If one leaves the train on the west side of the little lake where the Saco River has its rise, just at the entrance to the famed defile of the Crawford Notch, and follows down the track half a mile, one will see a winding path leading up to Mount Willard. After a sharp climb over a rough, rock-bestrewn path, through the woods there is a little clearing of about half an acre, much like a shelf set into the mountainside, where stands a hut surrounded by a tiny vegetable garden in which potatoes, corn, and cabbage flourish, fenced in by the somber firs and beeches. Here, amid his treasures, lives English Jack, whose right name, as he says, is Alfred Viles. There are three rooms in this cabin, in the first of which are pens and cages containing rabbits, squirrels, and pigeons, and a squirming nest of snakes which crawl all over him and wind themselves about his neck and limbs as an entertainment to visitors. Snowshoes, moccasins, and traps adorn the walls. The atmosphere is anything but pleasant, 
and the adjoining room is used as a storeroom where the game, vegetables, and other edibles with a goodly supply of homemade root beer are stored. Another apartment is his living room, and it is quite cheerful. Its walls are adorned with newspaper cuts and an occasional chromo sent him by a former visiting friend. This is his armory also, and a shotgun, some quaint-looking Spanish pistols, and ugly knives are hung around the walls. In his appearance, old Jack is a study. His unkempt beard and hair now whitening and flowing down from beneath a skin cap. His leathery face, horny hands, and nondescript apparel are in keeping with his surroundings. I prevailed upon him to stand in front of his cabin while I took a picture of it, but not until after I consented to let him put on his best clothes, a suit which someone had given him and a hat much too small, would he be taken, and thus the picturesqueness of his appearance was lost. He relates pathetically that once he loved a fair English girl, but while he was away on one of his voyages, she died, and he never loved another, and thereafter did not dare to meet the people of the world, preferring to have the mute inhabitants of the forest as his companions. Jack is absent on his hunting trips, days at a time, and gives a vivid account of what once befell him that is worth telling here. A dozen years ago, said Jack, I got into a serious scrape. Over this mountain and the next one, there is a little pond swarming with trout, but it's a hard climb to get there, as there is no pass between the mountains, and you have to go over the top of both. The pond is almost as high as the ridge you see over there, sticking its back up through the clouds. I started off early one morning and got to the pond about the middle of the forenoon. It was a hot morning, but I never saw trout bite so well. About the middle of the afternoon, I'd got trout enough and was ready to go home, and then I felt uneasy because... Off in the south and southwest, the thunderclouds began to pile up, and I knew there was a big shower coming. Showers come quick up here. I've known it all clear sky and sunshine, and in less than 15 minutes it would be black as night and pour in torrents. And when I got on the backbone of the ridge, I saw the shower coming, and it was growing dark fast, and the thunder rumbled in the south. I knew I should catch it before I got home, and I'd got pretty well down to the deep gully between the two mountains when the rain came down like a water spout. I looked around for shelter, but there wasn't any tree of any size, nothing but boulders. But luckily I found a hole under a big boulder that led into a cave, and I went in there, although I was careful lest there were a bear or wildcat in it, which might object to my company. The gleam of the lightning through the entrance would partially light the interior, but there were still deep shadows in the rear, and I felt uneasy, for I could hear nothing. The thunder made such a din, and it was so heavy it shook the rocks around me. I might have been sitting there twenty minutes when suddenly I heard a sound between the thunderclaps that made me catch my breath and send a cold shiver through me, for I distinctly heard the rush and roar of a landslide over my head. Jumping up, my first thought was to rush out, but I stopped for fear I might get caught in it. Nearer and nearer it came, and I knew there was a slide coming down right over my cave, and the next minute I was in total darkness. The sound gradually died away, and a death-like silence prevailed, and I realized that I was buried alive. I crawled toward the entrance with the faint hope of digging out and felt the loose rocks and wet earth that choked the entrance. No one would ever look for me, and if by chance anyone came to my place, they would think I was away hunting. I began frantically to tear away the rocks and earth, tearing the flesh from my hands, and a number of times lay down in despair, but at last I pulled a rock away and saw daylight, and soon got into the open air after a day and night in that living tomb. I tell you, I was mighty careful about going into caves after that. I cannot reproduce the peculiar phraseology that he used in telling me the story, but it added a great deal to the interest. Jack seems happy and contented among his reptiles and quadrupeds, and when one talks to him on the outside world, he displays the curiosity and innocence of a child.
So those last two articles both detail him keeping these animals as pets. He had a series of them. He was known to keep cats and rabbits, squirrels, pigeons. He had tanks of breeding trout that he kept outside of his place. Frogs, snakes, and even a wolf for a time. He had more than one bear, as you read about. <laughs> and the bear became aggressive. It attacked and ate his dog and made a move towards the hermit. And Jack spoke of the bear to the Boston Globe in 1895. He said, it's no use. You can't tame a bear and keep him in the woods. My bear was never very good-natured, and when he at last tried to eat me, I thought it was high time for me to eat him. <laughs> so, <laughs> Poor bear. <laughs> contentious relationship with the pet bears there. Jack enjoyed reading and visitors to his cabin, often remarked on the number of books and newspapers he had on hand. I like books, Jack remarked to the <laughs> Boston Globe. They're good company to me. He entertained many guests over the years. As I said, he had a sign that read the house that Jack built beside the railroad tracks at Crawford Notch. Curious hermit seekers could follow a series of wooden steps and walkways to his house from the sign. And some photos, as you mentioned, uh, what was her name? Katie Van Twinkle. <laughs> some visitors received a photo of Jack as a souvenir. For a quarter, Jack would eat a live frog. Could I pay him 50 cents not to? <laughs> if you wanted to see him ingest a live snake, though. Yeah, how much does that cost? It cost you $5, which is a lot back then. Oh, you could get a woman for that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was what he was doing for the sideshows. That kind of convinces me that he was doing the sideshow thing, the fact that he would continue that. Like, yeah, go ahead, give me a quarter, I'll eat a frog. Right. The other thing, too, the fact that he named his bear Jumbo, which is like yeah. the, the famous the, the, yeah, uh, the famous um, elephant. elephant. Yeah. You could buy a copy of his biography in verse form, The Story of Jack, for 50 cents from him. Make a day of it. Spend yeah. a dollar. I would have like, been cool to visit some of these hermits. Famous guests to the house that Jack built include musicians of the day, governors of Massachusetts and New Hampshire, author Henry Wheeler Shaw, famous preacher Henry Ward Beecher, and plenty and plenty of newspapermen. Despite his reclusive nature, English Jack seemed to be fond of people and would offer assistance whenever he could. More than once, he found parties of lost travelers in the White Mountains. The Morning News in Wilmington, Delaware, printed a short article on Jack on December 1st, 1900, which gives a view into his philosophy of life and his innocent and kind nature. This is entitled A Maine Hermit. Yeah, wrong state. Close enough, it's all <laughs> northern New England. A quaint old hermit known as English Jack has lived for many years in a little house which he calls the house that Jack built in the White Hills near Portland, Maine. He has been in turn hunter, guide, fisherman, and seller of Indian curiosities and holds aloof from the toil and turmoil of, of life. He loves most to look at the hills and the sky and while silently smoking, thinking of the wonder and beauty of nature. He clings, said the Portland Telegram, with childlike confidence to the infinite goodness and knows no fear. Once a minister was talking to him concerning religious things and happened to say that he should be afraid there in the mountains alone. With God, asked Jack with surprise. Summed up in a few words, the creed of the old man is that I want to be honest. I want to help everyone I can. I must not kill any beast, fish, or bird unless I need food. I must think no wrong of anybody, and I must envy no one. I must... Use the men about me as I want to be used. Having done all this, I want to be still and not trouble myself about the future. It is, as Dean Stanley said, of that of Charles Dickens, a simple but all-sufficient creed. 
and he lives up to it. They're really kind of selling it for me. Yeah, <laughs> the hermit I, life, I, right? <laughs> I, I softened on Jack because of these articles. The other thing I find so odd is that the great irony of just wanting to go to the woods and be alone and then having to entertain people to be able to sustain <laughs> yourself with, like, <laughs> having company all the time. <laughs> it's like, I just want to be left alone in the mountains. Like, do you not understand what a hermit is? <laughs> right, yeah. In August of 1903, the Boston Globe reported that Jack had been struck with pleurisy and was at the point of death in his lonely cabin. Everyone dies of either pleurisy or nephritis in, in, old-timey, in old-timey ways. He was not expected to recover. His health failing, Jack began spending winters with kindly neighbors, the Fahey and McGee families. Anne Fahey Harris was about seven years old when English Jack began spending winters with her family. She remembered Jack as well-dressed, always with a roll of bills in his pocket. Annie believed he wanted to impress his hosts. Once he asked her to read him a letter from a wealthy friend, which had a $100 bill enclosed. She was under the impression that Jack had sent himself the letter, but wanted his host to believe a generous associate sent him the money. That was the first thing I read about English Jack, and that's what I was like, oh, he's a phony. Yeah, yeah. He's really a wealthy hermit. And he's he's, you know, he's just he's, pretending to slum it. Yeah. But I don't think that was the case. But, I, you know, the fact that he would flash money, it led to these rumors that he was a wealthy man. A 1903 article from the New York Tribune suggested that Jack had buried a large sum of money, as much as $100,000, somewhere around his cabin. When we play Hermit Bingo, isn't that on it? The buried treasure? The yeah. fact that someone is... It's this, like, uh, cognitive dissonance of not being able to believe that someone would be so poor that they'd have to go and live on their own somewhere in the woods. That they, there must be a precipitating reason other than poverty, mm-hmm. like lost love, and they must be secretly wealthy. Yeah. That he, this is a choice, that, that this isn't uh, something that people come to out of some sort of desperation. This is like a lifestyle choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. In January of 1910, newspapers began reporting on Jack's failing health. How old is he by this point? He's nearly 100, right? Mm. Wasn't he born in the 20s, 1820s? He's in his 80s, maybe? Yeah. This is from the Altoona Tribune, Altoona, Pennsylvania, 26th of January, 1910. This also says Portland, Maine. <laughs> Did he live in Portland, Maine for a while, or are they just this is the, I, a big city probably nearby? Probably the, the closest place nearby, yeah. Colonel John D. Prindable has received a letter from William McGee of Twin Mountains saying that English Jack, the famed hermit of the White Mountains, is very low and that his mind is giving way. He's over 80 years of age and for some time has been failing. He was the close friend of Josh Billings, who liked him very much, as did also the Reverend Henry Ward Beecher. The latter for many years made it a point while on his annual visits to the White Hills to go to the home of English Jack, generally called the house that Jack built. He sometimes talked with Jack of men and nature for hours. For many years, Colonel Prindable has been a friend of the hermit, and through him, Jack became acquainted with the late George P. Westcott, who helped him in many ways. English Jack was once a captain in the British Merchant Marines and served in the Crimean War on a British battleship. As an officer, he specially distinguished himself. The death of a girl to whom he was engaged drove him from England and made him the hermit of the White Hills. That was 1910. He lived for two more years. It's interesting, the association with uh, Henry Ward Beecher. Mm-hmm. She's um, 
Harriet Beecher Stowe's, I think it's it's her brother. Okay. Yeah, but they were abolitionists, I know that. Mm-hmm. So he would have been sort of, um, I guess, sort of progressive at the time, would have been, wouldn't have had any problems with people who were a little different, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to put that in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he, I think he visited, from what I read, I think he visited Jack a number of times. Yeah, he was mentioned in the other article, and I thought, oh, like, I see his photos so often. He was very mm-hmm. well photographed. So was Jack. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jack hasn't beat there. <laughs> so he died while he was living with the McGee family on April 24th, 1912. This is from the Express and Standard, Newport, Vermont, the 17th of May, 1912. Perhaps some of your readers may have seen English Jack, the hermit of Crawford Notch, when they have been to the White Mountains. Two or three years ago, there were reports of his death in Boston papers, but his death really occurred about two weeks ago, and there was neither kith nor kin to follow him to his last resting place. His life reads like a great romance. Left an orphan, he became a sailor at 14. Later, the death of a girl he loved changed him into an eccentric man and finally led him to become the hermit of the White Mountains. He had been to the south of Africa, and with an expedition that went to the Arctic Circle in search of Sir John Franklin the Explorer. Oh, that's new. (laughs) Finally, while cruising in the Indian Ocean, he was shipwrecked and marooned on an island with 15 of the crew for 19 months, with snails and snakes and whatever they could pick up. He had been at Crawford Notch for over 30 years, and thousands of tourists visited his shack, the house that Jack built. That is what is on the sign that leads him there. He had a ring given him by the late Thomas B. Reed of Maine that he prized very highly, as he did many other gifts given to him by tourists. He was 90 years old when he died. You simply could not do all the things that he said he had done. You know, you, there wasn't really enough time. Yeah, or, I forgot about that part about him uh, going to look with Lord Franklin, right? <laughs> Cue the song. Throughout his long life, English Jack never forgot about Mary Simmons. If she was real. <laughs> no. <laughs> He was known to recite Poe's Annabelle Lee from memory in reference to his departed love. We loved with a love that was more than love was a favorite line Jack often repeated. Mary often said middle school is hard. (laughs) 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 These stories, like if there's any kernel of truth to them, there's always something horrific that is excluding (laughs) The Binger Journal closed their remembrance of English Jack on June 14, 1912, with the following lines regarding his dedication to Mary. The old hermit, through it all, lived a dream life, looking for his sweetheart's face. He said he had seen her often, always in the limpid pool at the base of the notch, often at dusk, on top of a beetling crag, sometimes in the gloaming on the long savannah. Cue the sad music. Is the real lesson as a mythical person that it'd be better to die of typhoid to get married at 14 to a guy that your parents just brought home and had live with them? <laughs> I, I'm, if the I'm, poem's correct. I'm mythically attributing typhoid to her. I don't know how she died. <laughs> if the poem is correct, he was yeah. 11 when his parents died. Okay. Or 12 mm-hmm. in that range. And he finds this little lost girl who was able to tell him where her, her parents lived. So she was... You know, let's I'm, say five or six. Yeah. So there's maybe only five years difference between yeah. the two of them. Yeah. So maybe she wouldn't have been in middle school <laughs> when he got back from the army. But didn't he go when he was like 14 or something to see? 
yeah, but that, I don't know. Uh, times were different then. Times we'll, were different. We'll have to do the timeline on yeah. it, but, uh, but you know. I don't think she really exists. Yeah, I'm wondering that too. Did her family know that he lived with them? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I. Do you want the, the wanna... shipwreck? Seems just too like just and just everybody died but him. There's no one else to back up his story. They're all dead. And he lived somewhere between 18 months and 45 years alone on an island, <laughs> <laughs> eating snails and and plentiful frogs in the Indian Ocean. Snails, frogs, snakes, yeah, whatever they could find. Yeah, it just doesn't add up. And then why was someone coming by to pick them up? Like why? Were well, it was they... an American ship that rescued them. But oh, so the that's American ship just America. happened to be going. No, went, the American ship just happened to be going back to England from this. Yeah, I, like that doesn't make sense either. Like it's just, oh yeah, we were on our way to England. We'll take you right back. We go by this island all the time. Oh wait, there's people here. <laughs> yeah, it just. I happen. feel like he was too busy on his coconut radio when the first ship came by. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how they always missed a way home on Gilligan's Island? They were always like, oh, we're fiddling with her coconut radio. <laughs> Who would you be if you were on Gilligan's Island? <laughs> Which character do you resonate with most? Jeez, I don't Thurston know. Thurston Howell III. No, definitely not not the Howells. See, the thing is you want you want to be the doctor who's making the coconut radio, but in reality you're probably just a little buddy. <laughs> I'm definitely Ginger. You're definitely Ginger, that's true. I am the movie star. Yeah, that's true. What about you? Oh, you know, I, wa- I want to be the doctor, but I know I'm really just sort of like a rural bumpkin Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> Marianne's like, in later years, she's the one that everyone preferred, right? Everyone's like, I wasn't into Ginger. It was like Marianne. <laughs> I was so down to earth. Now, if you were really, what was Thurston Howe's wife's name? Lovey. Oh, Lovey. Yes. That's a fantastic fakerage name. <laughs> I mean, I think that was his nickname for her. I don't remember. I'm going to have to look it up now what her real name was. My Gilligan's Island trivia is nowhere near as good as my Happy Days trivia. I think we're dating ourselves. We didn't watch these first run, though, most for most of these. These This was in the endless syndication of the 80s. Yeah, just things that were on the endless loop. Mm -hmm. We didn't have, I don't, I know you came from a similar family of we don't pay for TV, so we didn't oh, yeah. have cable of any yeah. sort. So we were stuck. Yeah, until I moved out, then my parents paid for TV right away. <laughs> like I was like, wait, like the moment you like left. the moment I stepped out You're the like, door. I think now we'll get cable. Yeah, <laughs> like what is happening? They're like, oh sure, we'll have the MTV package <laughs> now. That's fine. <laughs> Spouse Lovey Hal. Did she not have a real name? Oh, her name on the show was Lovey. Mm. Yeah, she Lovey Hal. She does have a maiden name though. But she doesn't have a name other than Lovey. What was her maiden name? Wentworth. Lovey Wentworth. <laughs> Lovey Wentworth Howe. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> what is your feeling on the veracity of Jack's story? Any of it. Like, we know the poem and, the, like, we're going to go ahead and say the shipwreck. Nah, it didn't happen. Do you think he was in the English military at all? He might have been. He might have had some sort of trauma related to being in the war. Or he could have been on some margins of the law and just needed to get the heck out of England, Mm -hmm. whether he was in the military or not. I think that's true. And he probably, because he can tell a good yarn, I bet he did end up being in maybe not a big circus. I'm thinking not like a Barnum level, but like a local little troupe or like um, the kind of little dime museums here and there. Yeah, the the kind that would just come to the fair, but like not your big, Mm -hmm. big run kind of. Yeah, I think. Just from the frog eating and the fact that he would do that mm-hmm. for 50 cents. And the fact that he was like a little salty about 
the managers, which is totally accurate for the mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah, they would keep the money and and he would have to eat the frogs. Yeah. <laughs> The rest of the, like the hunting stories and stuff, I mean, I guess I believe it. You know, he's up there in the mountains. Yeah, and I would imagine if you lived by yourself, you would sort of take on wild animals as pets. Yeah, I mean, well, people observe them there, so, you know. Having a bear as a a pet or a potential something else, I have found is more common than you might think. Hmm. I guess my question is, how do you get a chain around the neck of a wild bear to become your pet? <laughs> Very that's, carefully. That's the um, that's the real like. This is in the days before some sort of subduing mm-hmm. darts of some sort. I want to hear the story about how that happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do love in the great American story that anyone that comes from a foreign country has to keep with that name. He has to be English Jack forever. <laughs> it's like making you Maryland Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. is, I mean, in this county, in in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. you'll always be Maryland Tim because yeah. you're, like you said, if your grandparents' grandparents weren't born here, you're not from here. So. Yeah, exactly. Once anybody asks me where I went to school. They'll know. Yeah. Maryland Tim. <laughs> I think some of these hermits did want to be alone. I think William Woodruff very much wanted to be alone. I don't get the impression that he really did. This, he seems like a really social guy because he wants to tell this fabulous backstory. He wants to perform for people. And he invites people and gives them little trinkets and things. I don't know that he wanted to be alone. I think it was just sort of like yeah, he didn't have a lot of other money. A lot more like the Herman of Irving Castle. He's got the backstory, the books he's selling about his life. He's selling photographs of himself. And there, there's stereo views of them. Some of these guys are just like they live alone, but they're not. They're not above making a buck off of it, you know. Yeah, it's almost like they have a their own stationary carnival or their own stationary fair, and they're they're controlling the narrative now. They're the one act, mm-hmm. the big ring, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. they're no longer the sideshow. They're the ten in one. Mm-hmm. So English Jack, another hermit for the strange familiars hermit files, and. L- I also, like, let's give a shout out to those families who took him in for winter. Yeah, oh, yeah right? What? Good neighbors. Yeah, right? Very good neighbors, yeah. I wouldn't even take in family members. <laughs> <laughs> One of our weirdo neighbors needed a place to stay for the winter. I just can't see being like, well, just till it gets warm. And then anytime it got above freezing, and be like, it seems fine now. <laughs> <laughs> you can go. You can go. No, we actually have very nice neighbors. For our Curiosity of the Week, we have a photo of English Jack himself. Oh, let me see him. Let me see him. Talk about being on theme, Allison. I know how you like to be on He's theme. got a skylight in the house? There's a story with that. He put the skylight in after one winter up there. He couldn't get his door open, and he was trapped inside for... Oh, because the snow came up so high. The snow came up so high. So he put the skylight in so he could climb out of the skylight if necessary. How smart. He's really selling the look, though, I have to say. The other thing about a lot of these hermits is they would have been unaware, for the most part, of other famous hermits, I think. I wonder about that. I really Because there, are, there seems to be a look. <laughs> and that could there, just be like living by yourself. And- I have a stereo view of English Jack, but there were earlier stereo views, which I don't have. And I, I would love to get those. Before he has the beard, he's much younger. Mm-hmm. So when he first goes up there, he's, his hair is not gray. 
It's probably younger than we are now. <laughs> it could be. I'm not sure. But like the stereo views of him are just like he's just a, a dude in the woods, mm. you know, like dark hair and no beard. So there are some very early stereo views of him. Which... I mean, he must have been friendly or people wouldn't have continually gone up to visit him. If he was, if he, you know, was scoffed at people, there wouldn't have been a reason. He wouldn't have put the sign out. Yeah, he wouldn't have put the sign out. <laughs> this is the house that Jack built. Yeah. There is a, another postcard which shows that sign. It doesn't show him, but it just shows the sign, the house that Jack built. And where did he get his supplies? He just cut down the local trees? Are they just scavenged? Or? I'm imagining both, you know. The house doesn't really look that bad. No, it's definitely shacky, you know, <laughs> uh, cabiny, I guess I should say. But, uh, you know, I'm, as long as it kept warm, I'm sure he's fine. It seems like the kind of place you and Chad would go and, you know, like... Rent for the weekend. Rent for the weekend. <laughs> So this is a postcard. This is a printed postcard, a printed photo postcard. It's not a real photo, as they say. Mm -hmm. The difference being the real photo postcards are actually photos. Mm -hmm. These are printed up. But it's a tinted, printed postcard, tinted, printed. Mm -hmm. It's a tinted, printed postcard showing English Jack in front of the house that Jack built with the skylight. It is an unused postcard. She could send it to a friend. I guess if you wanted to. Guessing this is from... 19, the 19-aughts. Like what year did he die? 1912, I think he died. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's... Like 1909? Yeah, that's in, the, right. in that range, yeah. Probably right before he died. Yeah. So I'll put an image of this in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop, and you can purchase this photo of English Jack. Is his place still there? I don't believe it is. Mm. I was going to try to go last year when Gideon and I did our hermit trip, but I couldn't get up there. We just didn't have enough time. It was super hot anyway. Mm -hmm. So I might have to go give a look. Supposedly there's still some – he put some – like I, I don't know if he, he carved into trees or something. But supposedly there's still some marks on the trees that you could see that he made. I'm not sure about the clearing, you know, where his house was or anything like that. It would be interesting to go see. But I would like to go see and see if it's there. Is New Hampshire the live free or die state? I believe it is. <laughs> And English Jack will be in my Hermit's book whenever whenever it's done. At some point it'll be done. I don't know. You're getting there. They just keep adding extra Hermit. I'm working on it, yeah. I'm trying to... A lot of artwork in it, which I'm excited about. I think it's some of the, the coolest artwork I've done as far as, you know, specifically for a book. You know, I'm designing the book, so it's you know, little spot illustrations and chapter mastheads and all this stuff. And each one's unique for each Hermit, so... No repeating art throughout. It's going to take a while. But I think it'll be worth it. I think it'll be good. I'm excited for it. But English Jack will be in there, along with many of the other hermits we talk about on Strange Familiars. If you go to our Etsy shop, you can also find, besides Curiosities of the Week, you can find antique photos. Allison has put many, many antique photos up on Etsy. You can find Strange Familiar shirts, Glow in the Dark, and classic blue Awoken Tree design. You can find the Flowered Path t-shirts. Those have been selling pretty well. I was happily surprised. But we still have Flowered Path t-shirts for sale there. I really like, I'm wearing one now. I really like that, the way they turned out, the (laughs) red on the gray. Uh, The Strange Familiar stickers and patches, artwork is there, originals and prints. My books and much more. Our shop name at Etsy is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. While you're on Etsy, check out Chad's shop. By the way, Chad wanted me to note that he is not going to be at that Nesmux gathering 
that he was advertising on the show for a couple weeks there. He can't make it for personal obligations. He's got other things going on. So anybody that was going there to meet up with Chad, he wanted me to say that he will not be there after all. Also on Etsy are our friends, Karmic Garden. And what about Riverbend Comics? Well, they're not on Etsy. They're, <laughs> our, they're also our friends. Yes, check out Riverbend Comics, riverbendcomics.com for all your comic needs, including plenty and plenty of... And plant needs, too. Paranormal stuff. And if you want to go on a... John does... Yeah, if you're local. If you're local. I don't think he's going to sell you plants through the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you're local, John does, you know, foraging classes and stuff as well. Under uh, Riverbend Foraging, I believe. Mm -hmm. So he's got synchronous with the name there. So if you want to go out in the woods and look for Bigfoot and you want to eat something on the way. Yeah, John's a great John's the person to go with. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, I always say you don't need to bring your lunch if you're going out with John. He'll find you something to eat on the trail. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, coming up, I got, as soon as I can figure out some of the technical issues, I got a collection of my artwork coming up. It's it's mostly illustrations I did for Strange Familiars, plus three very short comics. People often ask me if I'm ever going to do a comic. Well, there's three short ones in this collection coming up. So that's coming out soon. Along with that, I'm going to re-release Entity Drift, which is all the ambient music I made for Strange Familiars. The sort of ambient sounds you hear as we transition from place to place in the show. That's been out of print for a while. Uh, It's available in Bandcamp, but I'm going to do a new physical version of it. So we will have physical CDs of Entity Drift and a new CD of old songs from Stone Breath. (laughs) Uh, Never before released stuff. So it would be the Strange Familiars theme. People often ask which album that's on. It's never been released, so it'll be the Strange Familiars theme and two other instrumentals we recorded around the same time, along with a song that was released on a compilation a few years ago that never got a release on a Stonebreast CD, and some uh, tracks that have never been released at all. So that will be coming up. I'm going to kind of release all those together since they're all kind of Strange Familiars related. I'll make a package you can get the book and the two CDs together. You can buy them individually, whatever you want. So that's all coming up in the near future. I don't know, whenever we get the parts, all these things have different moving parts and they're coming from different places. But something to look forward to. The book is called Elzik's Farewell and Other Oddities. And Entity Drift is the one CD with the ambient music and I believe the Stone Breath one I'm going to call Greys and Orphans. So look forward to that. All right, I guess that's it. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, and you can find us on the web 24-7 at www.strangefamiliars.com. Thank you.
wide open the raging foam. He wooed a wife and he brought her home. He wooed her for her long and golden hair. His mother wrought a mighty care. A weary spell she's laid on her. She'd be with child for many long years. But this poor child she never bear. And in her bower she lies in pain. King Willie at her bed head, he did stand. And down his cheeks the sudden tears did run. Mother did run, and he's gone there and a begging son. Say my true love has this noble steed, the likes of which you never see. On every part of this horse's mane, there's hanging fifty. Silver bells and ten, there's hanging fifty bells and ten. This goodly gift shall be your own if you'll turn back to my own true love that she might bear my baby son. Me. Nor from sickness does she ever be free, but she will die and turn to clay, and you will wed with another maid. And time said, this weary man, as he returned to is home again I wish my life was at an end He really back to his mother did run and he's gone there as a begging son Say my true love has this golden girl with two stitched off around the middle On every part of this girdle's hem There's hanging fifty silver bells and ten There's hanging fifty bells and ten This goodly gift shall be your own if you'll turn back to my own true love That she might bear my baby son Though of this child to never like to be Nor from sickness will she ever be free But she will die 
again Turn to flame And you will wed with Another name Then Zion said This weary man As he returned to His home again I wish my life Was at an end Night which knots 
Braided a bunk His lady's luck And it was Willie to cow The combs of care Braided a bunk His lady's hair And it was Willie The master kid did slay And it was Willie Tied a left shoe string And it was Willie The letter lighter be And she did bear A baby boy And bright the blessing Baby them upon Oh, bright the blessing, let me them upon. <laughs>